0: Um, We've kind of just been looking the past two weeks at the uh, letters of 2nd and 3rd John. So if you've been kind of enjoying us, I've just kind of glanced at those letters and we've looked at them as sources of incredible encouragement and really how we're called to be and portray uh, the love of Christ to the world around us. We talked about walking in love and walking in truth and uh, what those kind of mean and, and, and how that impacts how we're called to live and represent the gospel to the watching world. Well, the world has kind of snuck up on me. I mentioned this when we were in our announcement time. I, I opened my eyes, and it's like, I mean, we're a week away from Thanksgiving. We have like five Fridays, and we're sitting on Christmas. Like, it just feels like everything sort of just appeared or here, and because as we're navigating these times, kids in and out of school and whatnot, and ice storms and all this stuff, it just, life feels a little bit overwhelming, and then I was thinking through that. I began to realize that at this point in time, it's really easy for us to just Focus internally, to just sort of turn our hearts and our lives into our own hearts, into our own selves, and say, listen, I can only control what's here. I'm going to focus on myself, my health, uh, my family, my life, my things, and and sort of turn this way. It's really easy for the church to do the same thing, that we're going to focus on how to maybe do this well, or figure out how to gather again, or just be the church, and no one would really blame us or you for just having this sort of internal inward focus. We can't really go outside much. We can't get together. With friends. There are states in our country that are saying no Thanksgiving gatherings. Like, it's a really easy time to just go, you know what? I just, we're going to focus on us and, and keep our doors closed and keep to ourselves. The problem, of course, is it's the direct opposite of the call of what the kingdom of God truly is, which is the kingdom of God is death to self and this throwing open uh, the gospel heart to the world around us. And just because we're walking through these difficult times does not mean that we no longer have that mission or that heart, that the church and that followers of Christ have been given permission to be inwardly focused. The truth is we have to try harder than ever to become an outwardly focused people who are committed, deeply committed, to seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ go into the lives of our neighbors and the world and the people around us. And we're going to be looking at a parable this morning that's an incredible reminder of that truth. That this incredible banquet that we've been invited to, that we're called to as the kingdom of God, um, is ours to go and take to the world, to invite the world to participate in the goodness and incredible love of Christ. And that as much as we may want to at this point in time take this sort of inward turn, we have to force our hearts to say, God, how are my neighbors? How are my co-workers? How are the people around me? How can I share with them the love and the truth of Christ in these crazy, uncertain times? So if you got your Bible, I want you to open up to um, Luke chapter 14. not you can follow along with me. I'm certainly going to read it. If you've got it on your phone, that's great too. We usually have Bibles in all the chairs, but apparently they have coronavirus, so we uh, we are not putting those out. They're sick and quarantined, and so um, hopefully they'll get out in 14 days, and we'll be able to safely use those again. But they're quarantined, so um, you can follow with me. But until we jump into that, let's take a few moments. Let's just pray together. Lord, I do thank you for. Um, the fact that we can gather in this place and that your word is still living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit. God, you tell us that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. God, your word is alive. It is an encounter with you, and we don't take it lightly. Lord, this is not a guidebook or an instruction book for our life. It is your very love letter poured out for us. And so, Lord, we know that an encounter with it is an encounter with you. And so, Lord, we take the opportunity to gather here and open your word very seriously. And so, Lord, we believe it's supreme authority. We believe the voice that it has. We believe that it is your very breath. You tell us it is the breath of God. The Theopunestos, it is the breath of God. And so, God, we hear that, and we want it to move in us. We want you to move in us. Take a moment in your own heart, just where you sit in the middle of all this sort of chaos and whatnot, and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. In this short, little, simple parable that God would just teach your heart. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you. We do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. I say this all the time, that everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Um, pray that God would move in the life of the person next to you, whether it's a husband or a wife or a child or someone you've never met or maybe here for the first time you think that's all kind of weird. Just... Try it. Just pray for them. Even if you don't know their name, just say, God, move in this person. Be someone that wants to see other people come to know Christ. Pray for someone beside you this morning. Lord, we turn our time over to you this morning. We believe that you are a God who is fully alive. And Lord, we ask you to teach our hearts, and we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So Luke chapter 14, Jesus is actually in the home of a very prominent Pharisee, and it's it's the Sabbath. And so he's eating dinner in the home of this very prominent Pharisee, and the beginning of 14, it tells us that Jesus is being closely watched. What's happening in the life and the ministry of Jesus right now is the Pharisees are doing everything they can to catch him, because... They want to catch him in a verbal trap, in a physical trap, and some kind of trap where they can subvert or overthrow his authority because Jesus' very presence is becoming a problem to the existence of the religious elite. And so we've known this. We've talked about these things in here for years. But this is the place where we're sitting at. They're watching him closely. They're trying to trap him. And he's on the Sabbath in a prominent Pharisee's house. And all the religious leaders and elite are gathered there having dinner this evening. All right? And we're going to start in verse 12 because I want you to see what happens before he tells this parable. And then we're going to work through this parable together. So as he's sitting there, Jesus says this to the host. He says, when you have a luncheon, Or a dinner. Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the time of the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant out to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have uh, bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to the master, and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly the streets, to the alleys and the towns and bring in the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Sir, the servant said, you, everything you have ordered has been done and there is still more room. And the master told the servant, go to the roads and the country lanes, make them come in so that my house may be filled. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of the banquet." So hopefully it's a relatively familiar parable, but this is what's unfolding. Jesus is sitting in the house of this very prominent, very important Pharisee, and he's eating with them at this luncheon or this dinner on the Sabbath, meaning they're at the peak of sort of their religious sort of daily or weekly experience on the Sabbath. They're doing everything religiously and morally correct. He's with the elite of the elite. And they're watching him. They're trying to trap him. And during this meal, Jesus looks at the host that's having this entire banquet or this luncheon or this dinner or whatever it is. And he looks at him and he says, Listen to the host. He says, When you have a dinner, a luncheon, or a banquet, you shouldn't invite your relatives or your rich friends or your brothers or those people because they may repay you. But what you should do is go out and invite the crippled and the lame and the broken and the outcast, and you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And it says that somebody sitting next to Jesus actually chimes in and looks over at Jesus and says, blessed is the one who eats of the kingdom of God. Meaning someone was over there going, amen, brother. Preach it. That's what it sounds like, right? Jesus just kind of gave this sort of scathing pointed thing about these luncheons and you shouldn't invite the people you've invited very prominently. And somebody looks over and says, yeah, blessed is that person that eats at that feast. And Jesus is like, I don't think you get it. So let me explain something to you in a little bit clearer so that everybody understands. Let me tell you a story. Here's a story. There was a certain man, a very prominent man. He owned a house, and he was having a banquet. In fact, he had been telling people forever he was having a banquet. And he'd been making preparations, and the people knew he was having a banquet, and they had sent out guest cards, and they had saved the dates, and he had told them, hey, listen, there is a banquet that's coming, and I want you to be prepared for it. They had been invited to the house of this great homeowner. And when everything was finally ready, he takes the servants and he sends them out and he says, go get the guests. And the servants go out and they go to get the guests and they come across the guests and the guests had heard about this banquet that was coming and when the, when the uh, servant came to them, they said, whoa, whoa, we can't come. We actually got things going on. And instead they began to make excuses. Some of the people said, oh, well, yeah, I just bought a field. I uh, haven't seen it yet, so I need to go check that out. I got a little deal happening downtown, like Mr. Papa Giorgio, right? Then you got somebody that said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go make sure they can pull. I don't even, I'm not sure I need to do that. Then some other guy was like, uh, I got married, so I can't because the old lady's got me down or whatever. Can't come. All their excuses, of course, stink. They're not real excuses. It's kind of the point of the parable. And the homeowner gets angry. He's frustrated that he'd been telling everybody about this. He'd been giving them best and all the warnings, saying this incredible banquet's happening, and you don't want to come, you're refusing invitations. So he looks at the servants. He says, "Fine, go get the crippled and the broken and the lame, the blind, those that are sitting in the alleys and the streets, and go get them." Servants go out and get those people. They come into the banquet and they say, "Look, there's still room." And the master of the house says, "Okay, fine. Then go outside of the village." Go outside of town. Find those that are of the land, which is what that actually translates to, the country people, the people that are outside of our direct kind of circle. Go and get people of the land out there and bring them in. It says he brings them in, and the banquet happens, and he ends this kind of parable by saying this. He's saying, I will tell you the truth. Um, There's not one of those men who were invited who will get a taste of this banquet. And he's saying this to this group of Pharisees. Now, it's a pretty powerful parable for you to hear if you're sitting there as a Pharisee. It has a little less sting for us now because I think we get it a little bit. But at the time, it was a very powerful, very raw, very offensive parable. And they were waiting to catch him and Jesus just doesn't care. And basically what this parable is laying out is a bunch of truths. It's laying out this kind of simple truth that the redemptive history was marked by a God who was in love with his people. And he chose a group of people for himself. He chose this group of Jewish people that he would use as a tool to tell the nations about the goodness and love of God. And he equates this telling with this idea of the coming of the kingdom of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God in scripture, we don't just talk about something that is, happens when we die or when we go to heaven, like that's the kingdom of God over there. Jesus always talked about the kingdom of God in three ways, what was, what is, and what will be. Meaning it's from everlasting to everlasting. Meaning the reign of God never began and will never end. It is always. It's why when Jesus teaches his people to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, God, let your kingdom invade our kingdoms. Let it invade our workplaces and our businesses and our homes and our playgrounds and our schools. Your kingdom displaces our kingdom, meaning we want your kingdom to come now. So we're talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. We're not just talking about a far-off thing when we die. We're talking about God's kingdom invading ours. And this banquet is a picture of this redemptive movement of history in which God shows this group of people to tell the world and show the world that the advancing, coming kingdom of God was happening now. And there was a great promise that was coming that they were going to basically, the, the Jewish people are basically going to be um, announcers for. okay, And so this banquet begins to happen, and the presence of Jesus Christ is ushering this great banquet in. And so God tells his servants, these prophets, and these kind of vocal tellers that we see in the Old Testament to go and announce to the land that the banquet, the presence, the movement of the coming kingdom of God, the redemptive history through Jesus is happening. Go and tell them. And so the prophets and those with the voices that God had given begin to tell the people. And the people begin to reject this invitation of God. They begin to reject the person of Jesus, right? And they have all kinds of crummy excuses. In Scripture, we see these little kind of silly excuses like, you know, I bought a field. Well, you know, of course, nobody buys a field without seeing it. No one buys ox without knowing they can pull or if they have three legs or whatever. You know these things before you buy them. Getting married is not a reason to skip a party. Getting married is a reason to go to a party so if you're a dude, you can show off the fact that you actually have something amazing in your life and you're not a loser, right? Like getting married is a reason you would go to a banquet, right? The reality is is that when the, the prophets and the announcers and the voice pieces of God, the mouthpieces go out, the Jewish people begin to reject that message, we see this happening with the presence and the movement of, of Christ. As he comes into the world, the Pharisees, the religious elites, they begin to say, no, we're not having any part of that. Right? We walked through this all in the Gospel of John. So what does God do? God, who is infinitely in love with his creation, says, that's fine, that's great, because guess what? This coming of the kingdom of God is not just for you, the ones that I told about in advance, but it's actually for the sinful and the broken and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and all those that you consider second class to yourself, all those that you thought weren't going to be grafted into this, I want you to get them, announce them, and this gospel message is for them. And not only is it for them, I want you to go beyond them, into the country lanes, into the roads and the places, outside of this Jewish circle to the Gentile lands, and I want you to announce the same truth and message there. So what we're basically seeing is the announcing of the coming of the kingdom of God that will break into the world now, that's no longer just for the religious Jewish community circle, but has been open and thrust open to the broken and the sinful and the hurting and the lame and the Gentiles and everyone. And not in some mass, plural, free-for-all, but all those that express a response to the invitation of God, that Jesus Christ is God's Son. And they profess their faith in him. This gospel message has been announced to the world. And he ends that whole thing by saying, and those men that have heard this, those that are sitting at this table, this is not for you. We think Jesus is sort of this kumbaya kind of traveling philosopher that just is like, love everybody, hug everybody, it's going to be fine. It's not who Jesus was. He was a truth teller, and he was a radical, radical picture of truth. And he looks at this group of Pharisees and he says, you guys that are hearing this, you're going to miss it because you've rejected the invitation of God. So I started thinking about this in light of the church's call to be extremely outward focused all the time. Because the nature of who we are as individuals and the nature of who we are as a church is to want to inwardly focus on ourselves and take care of me. I've got to protect me first. I've got to protect my family. I'm, I've got to do this. We've got to make sure that we are maintenance at all costs. The Pharisees lived in this place. They lived in a place that said, this whole thing is about us. It's about us. It's about how we are perceived and how we live and how we do life. The coming of the kingdom of God, the message of the gospel is the rejection of just us. And it's the announcement of this is for everyone. And that the call of the church becomes the going out into the streets and to the alleys and to the people of the land and to the countryside to tell of this incredible banquet that we have been invited to through the presence and the purpose of Christ. During these crazy days it's really easy to just say, "You know what? We're going to figure out how to do this." We've talked a lot even at leadership as a church about how we get people in this building and should we turn guests away or should we limit our numbers and The very idea of that is so hard to swallow because it goes against the very nature of saying we want the entire world to know. We don't want to ever have someone walk up here and be like, sorry, closed. We don't want to get out of the practice of inviting our neighbors and our friends into our lives and our world and our churches. Now, we recognize that there's a real challenge here because there's a real practical side to this, but it shouldn't stop the call of the church. Because in this message, there are really a couple things I want you to see here that are really important, and we see them hanging over there. And I don't want to make too much out of this parable that may or may not really be in there, but I do think there are a few lines that are really important. And the first is that there's this urgency. You can't read this parable without this sense of urgency. The master of the house or the head of the house is saying, listen, the time is now. The banquet is upon us. Go and tell everybody. And they reject it. Go out there and tell the people in the streets. Go out there and tell the people of the land. There was a sense of this banquet, this thing was happening right now. It was not something we could put off with our excuses and come back later. I've talked about this at length in here. We don't have any sense of gospel urgency as the people of God. I mean, I'm serious. We have no sense of urgency. But the truth is, we hold the key to eternal life and the gospel message, and we have no urgency to tell our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family members. In fact, most of us in this room have someone that we love, dearly love, that's in our family that we've never talked to about Christ, and it's been 15 years, 10 years, 2 years, whatever. Why? Because we're afraid. We're nervous. What are they going to say? What if they reject us? What if I push them away? Don't give yourself that much power. You cannot. John 6.44 says that only God draws people into himself, meaning that if God's only going to do that, then you are not going to push anybody away. God is bigger than your lack of words. But here's the truth. We have no real sense of urgency because most of us refuse to understand our own condition. And our own condition is this. Without Jesus Christ, we are dead. Not dying, not sick, not ill, not feeling poorly. We are literally dead with no hope. And there's a world out there of people that don't have Jesus, don't know Jesus. And they are not sick, they are not dying, they are dead. But there is a solution. There is an answer. There is a truth in Jesus that in him, not only do we have the promise of eternal life, the kingdom of God that is coming, but the promise of eternal life that begins today, the kingdom of God that is. And that we're dealing in this crazy pandemic with a lot of mental health issues and part of the answer is hope in Christ. And yet we have no gospel urgency normally, and even more so in these times? When's the last time you really checked on your neighbors, on their mental or spiritual health? When's the last time you truly took into heart that there are people around you that are sad and broken? Like I have some of them in my house. This is hard on a 15-year-old who's super social and finds himself at home and behind doors all the time. Trying to figure out how to be healthy during this time is hard. The role of the church should be to take the hope of Christ into these places. How do we do that? We figure it out. But there's a sense of urgency in this message that somehow is lost on the church. Most of us will spend years before we have, with people before we have any real meaningful conversation that doesn't exist around football or children. And at best, what we'll get to is inviting them to church. At best. Very seldom will we actually have a real conversation about something truly spiritual. I remember years ago, we took a team, we've taken a couple teams, we took a team down to Guatemala when Brandon and Jenny were living down there, doing what, what they were doing. And we took a team down there, more just to be a burden on them than anything else. And uh, living in their house and, you know, all that. And, and, uh, and we went around one day and we just in a neighborhood that they had. I told Brandon, we'd just do whatever they, they felt like doing. And we went around and partnered with some of their churches that were in their were that Brandon was supporting. Brandon was training pastors and We went to some of their churches, and uh, we went there. They would have these little events, and we'd go door to door and invite people to come, and we'd share the gospel with people. Brandon and I were walking together, and we were outside this little convenience store, this little tienda, this little tienda, store deal, and there was a guy sitting on the curb. And uh, we kind of just started talking to him, and we started sharing the gospel with him. And he had a carload of people he was getting ready to leave with, and we get to the end of this sort of gospel message with him and kind of just say, I don't even know if Brandon remembers this, but kind of just say, is this something that you want to do today? And he had a simple response. And he basically said this, he said, how can I wait? And it stuck with me because if this is true, this gospel message that we're really telling people that we are, that we are dead without Christ and there's no hope without Jesus, then how can we Wait. How can we wait for a better time, a better opportunity with our people that we care about or with our neighbors or with our coworkers, or our friends? How can we wait? We're not promised what happens when we drive out of this parking lot. I mean, that's just the truth. So there's a sense of urgency. There's also this incredible sense of joy, right? You don't see it explicitly written in this parable, but you get the idea that this banquet is not a dull bummer of a deal. That any kind of banquet or party or celebration is just that. It's this incredible thing, this event where the host spends a ton of time creating the perfect environment and, and throws open the doors with food and beverage and all these things and it's a giant celebration. It's why it's a banquet. It's why it's a luncheon. It's why it's a dinner. It's why the kingdom of God is often associated with a banquet, with a party, with a wedding, with a feast. Because there's an incredible joy associated with that. And if we don't understand that the gospel has got this incredible joy associated with it, we are missing a very prominent part of the gospel picture, which is not only is there hope in Christ, but there is incredible joy in Christ. And yet we allow the world to strip us of our joy, we allow the world to exchange that joy with anxiety and with worry and with fear, and those things are not from God. But the coming of the kingdom of God is marked with urgency and is marked with joy and celebration, meaning that we are no longer dead. We are crossing from death to life, and it doesn't move us at all. Our churches should not be able to contain the joy of its people. Worship should not be some dull expression, but it should be a celebration of the fact that God has taken you from death to life. And then we have defeated the lies of the enemy that say worry and anxiety and fear should reign your heart. And if you are letting those things reign in your heart, you are missing the call of the gospel. Because the kingdom of God is not something that happens then and that will be a celebration just when we get to heaven. The kingdom of God happens now and that celebration begins today. We often talk about heaven as this thing, this place that we look forward to, where there will be no more weeping and no more tears, and those things are all true in this great celebration, but it's always out there. But if you understand how God talks about his kingdom, how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it was, it is, and it ever will be, meaning it never ceases. It's not just something we look forward to, it's something we live today. And if your life is marked by worry and anxiety and fear and not the joy of Christ, we're missing the gospel. So we've got this urgency, we've got this joy, and then the last little piece I want to hit on before we just close out is this. There's this incredible, amazing reality wrapped up in that guest list. Is the guest list not something amazing? Now think about that if you're a Pharisee, and you think the entire religious system revolves around you and people that look just like you. We all went to school, we're all super smart, we all look this way. And what does Jesus do? He comes in and says, that's great. But the coming of the kingdom of God is going to be marked with also these people, and you should be ready to invite them because they're coming whether you like it or not. The broken, the crippled, the lame, the blind, meaning all those that you consider sinful. Because those people, it's not just the handicaps. Remember? In those days, they considered people's afflictions part of their sinful condition. In fact, we see that when the Pharisees are, or the disciples are walking with Jesus and they come across a blind guy and they say, Hey, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents, because he's blind? And Jesus said, it's not because of sin, it's so you could see the coming of the kingdom of God, and he gave the man a sight. But they associated physical illnesses or handicaps with sin. And so the crippled and the lame, they weren't just people that were on the margins. They were sinful. They were broken. They were outcasts. And they're all invited into the kingdom of God. They are all given the invitation to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Not only that, not only just the Jewish people that are broken and sinful, but the entire world that you and I are grafted into this incredible kingdom of God. The people from all walks of life, all tongues, all tribes, all nations will be present in the coming of the kingdom of God. Which means if we look around, right, and we find people in this world that we can't love or we don't love, we are missing a huge reality of the call of the kingdom of God and the guest list. If all people are image bearers of God, every single one of them, no matter what race, color, ethnicity, walk, background, moral aptitude, whatever religious semi-affiliation, whatever political affiliation, if all those people are image bearers of God, then the gospel message is open to all of them. And the church is called to be the mouthpiece of that message. And we are called to love the way that Christ loves, as we looked at in John two, or second John, to be that picture of love to the world. So what does your life look like in terms of the people that you connect with and are around? Is it people that just look like you? Do you engage with people that are marginalized? People that are on the fringes of society? I say this all the time, the church loves the picture of the person in recovery. We love the redeemed story. We love it when someone comes in here and tells us a story about how they used to be this. But we don't know how to do life with the addict or with the prostitute or with the broken or with the immoral, with the adulterer right in this moment. But the gospel message is for them as much as it's for you because we are all dead in Christ. And so the church has to open up its heart to the entire scope of the image bearers of God and be willing to take the gospel into the places where the world says you just shouldn't have to go. And a pandemic should not stop the heartbeat of the church. It should actually thrust us forward because we should be more concerned and worried about the health and the care of the people when they're isolated and cut off and quarantined. It should thrust the church into action. So the question for us is If this is the call of the great banquet. What are we doing about it? Is there an urgency in that, right? Is there a joy in that? Is there a reality that we've got to get outside into the alleys and the streets and the country lanes? Because this incredible, joyful banquet that we've been invited to is for all of us. If We take the gospel into the world. That invitation, how we respond to it is paramount. But it's our call to take it into the world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity just to gather in this place. For just a few moments, to open your word and to worship together in the middle of these challenging, crazy days, Um, it's an incredible opportunity for the church to literally be the church. It's also an opportunity for the enemy to tell us to stay inwardly focused, for the enemy to hold us down in fear, for the enemy to hold us down in anxiety and worry, and to get so trapped in that, Lord, that we are seized up doesn't mean that we don't take precautions, we don't take seriously the call to be healthy and to keep the world around us healthy, but it also means that we take seriously the call to try harder, to figure out creative ways to love people, to check on people, to share the gospel with people. I pray that you would give your church a creativity like it's never seen before. I pray that you would give it an urgency like it's never seen before. I pray that you would give it a joy like it's never seen before. I pray that you would give it a calling to go outside of its normal places, even the places in our heart where we feel comfortable, into our neighbors and our businesses and our country lanes and our streets and our alleys and all those places because the gospel message is still viable and real and needs to be heard, especially now. And so, Lord, press that onto the heart of your people. So, Lord, as we close our time in worship, I pray that you would just push us forward. Reverse our inward focus, Lord, and give us a heartbeat for the world. That we may be sort of the message proclaimers to the image bearers of God. And we ask this in Jesus' perfect and holy and risen name. Amen. Let's stand together and close our time in worship.